Over the last few weeks, we've discussed different angles of the role of the shoel, of the laity, in the process of halacha. We've explored the importance of the voice and media through which a posseh conveys his authority, his ruling. We noted that the authority to weigh in on the halachic decision is granted by the shoel, um, and we discussed last week why that's binding. A different aspect of that that I want to discuss today was brought to my mind mostly by an article by my teacher, Rabbi Arya Clapper, in a, uh, a recent uh, article, as well as um, several posts I've seen in the, in the last few weeks um, about halacha in general and halacha issued under pressure in real time. Um, and the question is as follows. Some of the halachic works that we read are found in codes, are found in works that are written not in response to a particular halachic question, but are rather written as an assessment of a particular halachic issue. For example, codes like the Rambam's Mishnah Torah, like the Tur, the Shulchan Aruch, or any number of modern works that we have whether it be Shmirat Shabbat Kehil the myriad of works that are written on Hilchot Shabbat, Hilchot Kashrut, Hilchot Nida, uh, and the like, those are theoretical works that deal with halachic questions in the abstract. And then we have Psak Halacha that's offered in response to a particular incident. And that includes both halachic decisions that are granted, that are offered in response to a particular question, as well as those that are recorded for posterity through the genre of she'lot v'tshuvot, of shutim, of response literature, in which the posaic records the question that he was asked and the answer that he offered to the question. Um, and the question that I want to deal with is which of those two modes is most trustworthy from a halachic uh, perspective. Is it the halacha that's offered in the theoretical, in the Beit Midrash, without the pressures of the circumstances? Or is it that which is offered in response to a real-life situation? Now, a priori, one could understand this in multiple ways, and could see that each of them has their benefits. On the one hand, psak that's offered in the theoretical, when there is no pressure, is offered in such a way that the posek has as much time, as much resources as he needs. There are no extenuating circumstances, neither rushing the posek to make a decision, nor pushing the posek to perhaps offer a decision which is more mekil, more machmer than he might have given in a normal circumstance. So one might think that it is the theoretical. On the other hand, when one is writing about a halachic issue as much as the posseik is committed to articulating 
his understanding of the sugya in the most honest way as possible, with the most accurate way possible, in the end of the day, one could argue that without the pressure of an actual person in front of him, an actual scenario that he feels responsibility towards, perhaps he won't take it with the same gravity, and therefore, perhaps it's specifically the decisions that are offered offered that are offered in response to a particular incident that are the most that are the most um, trustworthy sources of halacha. Of course, with the caveat that when it comes to theoretical halachic decisions, uh, they are not necessarily taking into account every um, nuance, but they are formulated in a universal way. A sheila v'tshuva, by its very definition, is responding to a particular circumstance, and while the principles offered may be applicable under similar circumstances, obviously, a posseg that is going to utilize the halachic decision offered in one shuvah must make sure that the decision that it is now being applied to is similar enough or similar in the critical ways for that halacha, for that halachic decision to be relevant. So which of these two models is the more accurate way of articulating a halacha? Now, as I mentioned, I was thinking about this recently because um, uh, of an article, a short article written by my teacher, by Ari Clapper, entitled, Do Real Cases Make Bad Law? Um, and I think the way he sets it up is quite helpful for our, uh, for our issue. And he, he notes um, that in the, uh, in the Sefer Zecher Simcha, Rabbi Moshe of Kissingen inherited the manuscripts of his father's chuvot, Rev Seligman Bar Yitzchak Dov Bamberger, the Wurzberger Rav. And he didn't know whether to publish them. Because on the one hand, he felt that his um, father's halachic decisions and his chuvot offered a tremendous amount of insight and scholarship and were worth publishing. But on the other end, he noted that his father had requested that the uh, Chuvot not be published. Um, so he turned to uh, to two poskim, to Rivitzkal Kohan Inspector and to the Nitziv as to their opinion. So in the um, in the Chuvot Zechar Simcha on page eight in the Hakdama, he notes that, um, and this is in footnote four. There, he notes that Agam Ship. Mikol makom alpio rashel gonim for samim hagaon naftali tzvi yuda Berlin balmeshiv davar vagon yisrogal chanan etc. Natnu van reshut lahat piso. He said that he consulted 
with these two gedolim to see whether he should publish the Chufot. Um, and, and in Rav uh, response, he notes that it seems like at least part of the concern was, and I'm skipping around a bit here, he said, He was concerned that people would rely on them, rely on them, um, and he wasn't sure whether they were worth relying on and his humility Right, Bamberger wasn't sure that he should publish the tshuva. Now, Rav Hanan offered a practical solution, and he said that he thought that, in fact, it was worthy of publishing them, but he should write a hakdama. That what you should do is you should write in the introduction that my father didn't want me to publish it because he wasn't sure you should rely on them. And I can't tell you for sure that you should, but this is the material and you can read it and learn from it and then make your own decisions. If you put a disclaimer like that, so then... And you think that would be sufficient to solve the problem. Now, Ray Clapper in his article notes that this often doesn't work, and many svarim that are used, in fact, with great authority, the positions of the Shah, Prima Gadim, um, Rosha Feinstein, each write in their Hagdamot that they're providing a, uh, a safer that will guide people halachically. Um, but that people shouldn't just rely on their authority without examining the argumentation. And as everybody knows, often people will paskin like the shach simply because the shach said it, and the primagodim because the primagodim said it, and Moshe Feinstein because the Moshe Feinstein said it, despite the um, the concern that they that they say in their introductions. Um, but. The Revisor Kohanan doesn't take on the fundamental uh, issue. And he leaves it as a possibility that in fact, halacha um, halacha is, uh, or chuvot offered in response to actual situations are less reliable perhaps than theoretical law. Um, and perhaps it was right to say that, or perhaps one could argue that if the Wurzbergerov felt that his chuvot are not reliable. Maybe that was true. Maybe it was not. Um, but it was enough to say that one should look into it um, and that this is here to guide Postkin, but not to uh, to grant authority in and of itself. But the Nitziv makes a fundamental um, claim. And he writes... As follows, and should meshiv davar chelak alav siman chavdalid. And he 
he says, that which you wrote, So now he sets up the question as we started with. He said, that which you said from your father, that you should not publish the tshuva, because your father felt that a theoretical work that's written not in response to a particular situation uh, is is more authoritative and more trustworthy than, than a response to a particular sha'ala. And a tshuva that's written in the Beit Midrash without the pressures, again, it relies the, uh, on more thorough research, it's not under pressure, um, etc., and Tziv says, on principle, I think, that is incorrect. Ulam l'dati adala ein hadvarim nechonim klal b'ta'amav. This is just wrong. Vadarava. The opposite is true. Bishashim yishvim alachal l'maaseh ba'im l'omek ha'anyan yoter mimashabanyan b'derech limud. Said, your psag is better when it responds to an actual question rather than theoretical. And now he adds, not just what we said before, that perhaps the seriousness, the gravity of being asked an actual question will force the posseg to take the issue more seriously. He says, there's also a spiritual component. That there is siyato dishmaya. Bishat ma'aseh. Ukvar amru chazam said ketubot. Siyato dishmaya ma'ani tuvalot yaralakalacha. And he notes that the Gemara in ketubot says that implies at least that when one paskins halacha, you need siyata d'shmaya, um, and without that, he won't paskin uh, correctly. And Tosvot there, this the Nitziv does not quote, but Tosvot there says that if one paskins in front of his Rebbe, even if his Rebbe is Mochel, it could be that you shouldn't do this because if Psak relies on this Siyata Dishmaya, perhaps Paskin in front of your Rebbe will take away that Siyata Dishmaya and you simply won't be successful. And therefore, in addition to the pragmatic concerns that being asked a Halachalamasa question forces the Poseik to think with more gravity, to take it more seriously, there's also a metaphysical problem. That theoretical law doesn't have the same siyata d'shmaya. And then the Nitziv offers more fundamental critiques. And he notes that in several places in Shas, in Baba Basra, Kuflamid, the beginning of Horiot, and elsewhere, the Gemara says that, and we discussed this, I believe, earlier in the year, that a psak is not considered binding. Until the Posaic says, Halacha lima'aseh. And just to remind ourselves of the, of the background there, the Gemara says there are several instances in which we need a formal psak in order to invoke a particular halacha. For example, parhelam davar shel tzibur, the unique karban that is brought when the Sanhedrin hagadol, or perhaps the local Sanhedrin of Yitshevet, which is a machlogan nuriot, paskin, and the majority of Kal Yisrael, Follow this mistaken psak. 
So they bring a unique karban, and the Gemara says that that psak is not invoked because you need that psak in order to create the unique circumstances of paralam davershal tzibur. Is not until the pos- the, the posek says not just halacha but halacha said that this is the practical law. The same is true of a zakein mamre. A zakein mamre is entitled to continue to. In the Beit Midrash, explain why he thinks that something is Asur when the Sanhedrin says Mutar or vice versa. But if he paskins Lima'aseh, he tells people practically that they should follow the Halacha. So that qualifies as a Psak, and then the Zakein Mamre is liable as a Zakein Mamre. But short of that, offering a theoretical law would not be enough. And the Gemara and Baba Batra further simply says that you can't rely on a psak until the Posek says that this is practical. So in several places in Halakha you find that psak is considered more reliable when the Posek says it's Lama'aseh. The Nitziv then continues that though the Poskim write that the Piskei Harash are more authoritative than the, uh, than the Chuvot of the Rash, um, he says that's not because we believe that theoretical works are more authoritative than um, works that are in response to particular questions. It's just that we know from the tour, or rather from Rabbi Yehuda, the son of the Rash, not from the tour, sorry, that the, uh, the Psakim were simply later. And therefore, if you find a position in the Rush in his Chuvot, and then a position in the Psakim, we can assume that he retracted because that was later. Um, and therefore, he notes that, in fact, they're in the Chuvot Ranach. He notes that if it's, it's a particular case where we know that that's not the case, that he... Um, so then we would follow the, uh, the tshuva, but it has nothing to do with, um, the the- with, with giving precedence to the theoretical work over the practical, because in fact we give precedence to the practical. He further says, That the psak that emerges in response to a particular circumstance is more precise than that which comes while simply learning. Notice that there were many who just didn't want people to rely on them. That's why they didn't want to publish them. But fundamentally, <coughs> the, um, the psakim are more authoritative when they are in response to a particular circumstance. Later on, that Shuvah the Nitziv deals with the Kibbutz aim issues, um, etc. But what you see here is potentially two perspectives. The, that offered by the Shoel in the name of his father from the Würzburger Rav, suggesting that perhaps theoretical psak is more successful, is more authentic, or not authentic, is more reliable than practical halachic decision. And then it sieves 
claim that the opposite is true. Both because perhaps the posek will take it more seriously and because of the siyata dishmaya issues that you find in Shas that may only be granted to a posek responding to a particular circumstance. Now you find this as well in other places that Nitziv does not quote. So for example, in the, in the halachot discussed of a posek ruling um, inebriated the, the halacha is that a posek is allowed to teach Torah um, when having had a revi'it uh, of wine um, for these purposes one does not obviously need to be inebriated um, one, but the formal prohibition applies even after revi'it of wine he can give a theoretical shear, but he can't paskin halacha because theoretical um, learning. So that's fine, but psak requires lemaase requires a more intense um, focus. I um, mean, you see that there is this assumption that when something is theoretical, it doesn't require the same level of focus as opposed to lemaase and poskim who understood to, um, that everything they say is Lama'aseh, so they can't even give shear because everything they say is taken as, as psak. And there's this assumption that when something is taken Lama'aseh, so everything that should be assumed to be Lama'aseh has to be taken with extra gravity. Um, and one sees this as well in, in other sugyot. An unbalance, as the Nitziv notes from several sugyot, the fact that a psak is defined as a yomrum lo halacha lemaaseh, and the case of, for example, Zakin Mamre, he's allowed to keep teaching his position in the Beit Midrash, he just can't paskin lemaaseh, that does seem to indicate that real psak is in response to a particular circumstance, furthering the issues that we've discussed in the last few weeks of the centrality of the shoel, of people actually seeking out Allahian guidance to the very formation of Psaq. Because what the Nitziv does to what we discussed last week, he says not only is it that until a Shoel asks, the decision of the Posek isn't binding, but the Nitziv asks that the fact that there is a Shoel, the fact that a Psaq emerges from a real-life interaction between those practitioners of Halakha and the Poskim, actually makes the decision better because the posseg is forced to think about it more creatively and more rigorously and more thoroughly and is granted siyata dishmaya. And that further emphasizes how the very definition of psak requires there to be this real-life interaction between the posseg and those who are going to follow the psak of, of the posseg. However, as Ray Clapper continues in, in that article, he notes that there is a pragmatic issue that one can note and say that even if the Nitziv is right fundamentally, every posseg needs to know themselves. And there are some poskim who will tell you that even if that's true in theory, they simply don't have the mental capacity or the resources or the memory 
the photographic memory to ensure that their chuvot that are given in the heat of the moment are, are as accurate, as rigorous as those chuvot they would have offered when they had more time. And there are other poskim where the Nitziv is right, not just theoretically, but practically. And Ray Clapper here summarizes some of the thoughts I've been having on these issues, as, as we've done many times in the last few months, noted that the, the crisis caused by COVID-19 has really allowed us an insight into many things in life, including the halachic process. So Ray Clapper writes, Nitziv and Ray Bamberger have been in my mind during this crisis as I read some great contemporary collections of in-the-moment responsa and make some efforts to generate my own. Some people's minds are sharpened by urgency and their conclusions and reasoning become wonderfully solid and consistent. Others meet their communal responsibilities but are scrambling to match their own usual standards of clarity or judgment. We owe them all gratitude. We also owe them all the effort to evaluate their reasoning rather than uncritically granting them authority and therefore the whole burden of responsibility. One of the best elements of halachic leadership during this crisis has been the way that public halachic pronouncements have often been issued only after broad consultation and then modified in response to practical feedback. And we've seen this, that as Ray Clapper notes, many post-scheme, you see when they write, they're trying to do their best, but if you would ask them, they would say that practically... In order for this to become long-term sock, they want the chance to reevaluate it. And other posgame would say that no, the urgency, the fact that this is real, is what has made their sock as effective uh, as possible. And here I just want to end with, the, with a few comments. I saw over the last few days that... Um, Rabbi Shai Shechter was on a uh, podcast called Behind the Bima with Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg. Um, and he, he told several stories about his father, about Herschel Shechter. And I think two of the stories that he, to- that he told focus on the issues that we discussed today. One story was that Rav Shechter, if anyone's been following, has been publishing tshuva after tshuva, from everything ranging to whether one can have porch minyanim, to triaging ventilators, having people share ventilators, triage in general, um, and the like. And... Rabbi Shai Shechter records that each time his father offered a clear, well-thought-out and methodical response. And he asked Rav Shechter when he had time to formulate all these concepts in his head. And Rav Shechter answered, I've been preparing for 80 years. And I think that that really captures perhaps the, uh, the complexity of this issue. That obviously... As we said, there are some people for whom the theoretical work is more reliable, and for others, the sense of urgency will, as the Nitziv notes, will make the psak better, give it more siyata de shmaya. But one always needs to remember 
that the best post-game are those that have been preparing the theoretical for all those years and have the theoretical models in their head so that when the moment of crisis comes, when it comes, maybe there isn't as much time to research. The combination of their knowledge of Torah with the pressure and siyata deshmaya of the moment together will enable that posek to produce truly impressive halachic decisions that combine both that theoretical knowledge but also bring to it the authenticity and the siyata deshmaya and the gravity of being in response to a hala- to a to an actual uh, question and in another story he notes that um, Rushechter had been part of a, uh, a Zoom call discussing complex halachic issues with Rav Asher Weiss and Rav Mordechai Willig. Um, and at some point, Rav Shai noted that his father was being um, quiet and a little bit on the side. Um, and he asked him what he was doing, and Rav said he'd been saying to Hillem, davening for divine assistance to make sure that he made the right decisions for the community. And again, I think that story highlights what we've been talking about. That the recognition that when you're responding to real shilas, that you that, that enables you both to have the gravity that pushes you to really understand the halakha and give the right response to people who really need it. And the recognition that at that moment there is, as the Gemara says, a certain siyata deshmaya. And to recognize that you need it and to daven for it, that's what often, as the Nitziv notes, makes psak in the moment the, the best psak there can be. And therefore I think, as we watch many of these chuvot be written and be developed, it's worth thinking about these two perspectives. Now, on the one hand, there are those who think that the theoretical models, the theoretical analysis of Allah is more authoritative. But as the Nitziv notes, the majority view seems to be that no, there's something unique about the halakha that's offered in response to an actual circumstance. The urgency, the weightiness of the issue forces the posek to really plumb the sources and there's a special siyata deshmaya that the Gemara says happens when a posek is responding not to theory, but in practice. And therefore, it's when that interaction happens between reality and the posek that the best truvot often comes. And the two qualifications that we added, that on the one hand, there may be people who personally feel that for them, the best they can do in the moment, in urgent situations, is to give their best halachic decision. But they recognize that in the future, they should have the time to return to it and re-examine it. In which case, while the Tziv may be right in theory, that may not be true for any particular posig, and each posig needs to know themselves. But the second point is that it's not really either or. That in order to be able to be granted that siyata deshmaya and to be able to come through when someone asks a question, when it's real, one needs to prepare. And what makes Poskim great 
is that they prepare for years. They delve into Torah. They make it that they understand the Torah and represent the Torah so that when it becomes lemaaseh, they can channel that with the siyata deshmayin, with the gravity of the moment to articulate the best psaq that they can that responds to the question being asked and provides guidance for those who are turning to them to see what halacha says in difficult, in difficult circumstances.